Today on Stick to Football, a heavy draft on Draft Show, we are going to fix Matt Rule's Carolina Panthers. We have some news and notes to get to, Connor. I think the big one, though, buddy, let's just start right here. We talked about it on the Monday afternoon show. Uh, Tua Vailoa had a CT scan Monday and Ian Rappaport, we were hoping somebody would get the news. Ian Rappaport gets it and comes out and says that this goes as positively as could be expected or hoped for. It seems like every time there's an update on Tua, it's good news. But I think it's great for, obviously great for him, great for us, and great for those teams needing a quarterback in the first round. It's phenomenal. I, I mean, everything just keeps trending upwards for Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And I think when you look at this, Matt, it's starting to most importantly trend for this guy being able to have a full workout before the NFL draft. I think that's one of the most important things. Now, as we've uh, warned everyone on the show in the past, we don't have a big expectations for how active he'll be at the combine. Like he said, he wants to win the medical, but he has that entire month of March and entire month of April to put on his own pro day, to put on his own throwing workout and show everybody uh, that he's moving well, that he's looking good. So, I think for at one point in time, Matt, when we were expecting Tua to miss a lot of the beginning of the NFL season, this could be a guy potentially that might be a full go in training camp. And I think that's really exciting for one of the most promising prospects in this entire draft class. Yeah, and it, and it makes it more interesting for teams you know, like the Miami Dolphins, who we've projected all along would probably want to trade up to get Tua. I, I think the one thing, uh, you never want to like pee on anybody's parade. I, I think the, the flip side of this, the devil's advocate side of this, it's amazing that there's all this positive news. I will say, 32 NFL teams have 32 doctors, and each of those doctors is going to independently review to his medicals. So we can hear reports from the surgeon, from the CT scan, that say, hey, everything looks really good. He can still fail a team's physical. And I'm not saying that will happen. I just want to kind of warn people that this could happen. We've seen it in the past where uh, a famous one was JHI, who not everything looked good. Then he gets to the combine. A lot of teams failed him because of what looked like chronic arthritis in his knees. And we've actually seen that affect his career. So I think when it comes to the medicals, it's such a gray area because there could be teams like with Jalen Smith, teams that love it and they're okay with it. There can be teams that say, no, this is too much of a risk for us, especially at quarterback. So I think Tua, obviously trending in the right direction. It's great to hear good news from a one of my favorite players in the entire class. Love watching him play. Everything you've heard about the kid is wonderful. So hopefully hopefully this is good. and He's going to have a clear bill of health. The combine medicals two weeks from today are still incredibly important for Tua because, again, that's where 32 teams will get that medical report. I'm sure that Tua's camp, Lee Steinberg, his agent, they're smart enough to make these CT scans available to every team who wants them so that they can kind of track the progress from where he was at in December, January, now February, and then we'll get a couple more looks before the draft. Yeah, I think what teams will be looking for, Matt, is obviously you want to see Tua bounce back to full strength. That's what's being reported here. That's what's priority number one. I think the underlying factor in all of this as well is that teams will be trying to figure out what are the chances of re-injury, of a refracture, and the long-term future yep. of that. So that's the more complicated issue that teams are going to have to handle. And like you and I have been part of many conversations with various decision makers that some guys might be on no boards. Some guys might be on five boards, as we learned with somebody like Maurice Hurst, which is a very different situation. I think he was on one board in the entire draft. And for Tua, I'm willing to bet that he'll be comfortably probably a top five selection on many or at least a few boards in this draft. And I think if you're the Dolphins, who famously you know, had Nick Saban, Nick Saban wanted Drew Brees. He failed the physical. The doctor said, no, the shoulder's never going to be good again. They go with Dante Culpepper instead. You have to wonder if the Dolphins are going to be just panicking it. Man, last time there was a failed physical, <laughs> we missed out on a Hall of Fame quarterback and the, the chance to maybe win a Super Bowl. Things would be very different for them. Now, speaking of a potentially Hall of Fame quarterback, the Los Angeles Chargers, we were hoping that there would be some kind of news break Monday so we would have more to talk about here. Thankfully, we got two things. The L.A. Chargers announced Phillip Rivers will not be back with the team. He will be testing free agency. They released like a thank you video, which is classy. 
I think it is smart of them to make that decision now. Just get ahead of it before free agency starts in about five weeks. Exactly five weeks, actually. And you just say, hey, he's going to test free agency. He's going to go somewhere else. We're going to go in a different direction. It gives you plenty of time for the fan base to get over it. It gives you time to move on. It also gives Rivers plenty of time to make a decision about his future. Does he want to continue playing? Where does he want to play? So I I applaud the Chargers for doing this. I was a little surprised that they came out this early and said that, though. I was as well. I think, listen, this is something you and I personally have been expecting for a while now after talking to a lot of people about this. But I think for them to come out and, you know, just basically say, hey, we're moving on. It's been great. Thanks for everything, Phil. I think when you look at this situation, you know, for Rivers, number one, number one for the Chargers, this is a smart decision because we've heard that Phil didn't really have a lot of interest in being part of having the successor on the roster. This was not going to be an Eli Manning and Daniel Jones situation this year in L.A. That was not going to happen. And for Rivers, he believes that he can help a team right now. And I would imagine there are going to be a handful of teams out there that agree with him and are interested to talk to him, feel out his market. How much does he want in this final stretch run? You know, what destinations is he comfortable with? So like you said, Matt, the uh, the time factor that they've given Rivers in this is really, really fair. And for the Chargers, this is a new era of football for them, a team that has a lot of young, exciting weapons. I really like their head coach in Anthony Lynn, who just got an extension. And I think you're going look to see them look at a lot of quarterbacks in this draft, a lot of guys that, you know, as Daniel Jeremiah pointed out right away, they want somebody that can move in and out of the pocket. They want to make life easier on their offensive line, and they want explosive, explosive kind of offense. So I'm excited to see what the Chargers do. And as we've been doing on every mock draft Monday, I am having a gut feeling about Justin Herbert ending up in L.A. Well, that's what I was going to say. Everything that I've reported for the last, I don't know, five or six weeks was that it, it, we back when we were at the Senior Bowl, I, I'm sure you remember, we were hearing they, they like Jordan Love. now, that, And I even said then, that might not be first-round like, but they do like that style of play. And we've, since then, connected them often to Justin Herbert. And one thing that, you know, you talk to people who know that team well, people who have worked there, even some of the you know people who are there now, everything is about catching up to the style of play that everyone else is playing right now. You cannot win with a quarterback who can't move. That that era is passing the NFL by, and I think the the Chargers see that coming. I think Anthony Lynn and Tom Telesco see that coming. So when you look at Easton Stick, Tyrod Taylor, I, I think it's easy to say, okay, well they're going to want a guy who can move around and make plays. Justin Herbert, we saw him do that late in the year. Something he was told not to do at Oregon: don't run, stand in the. We don't want you to get hurt. You're too important. Stand in the pocket and throw the football. When he does move, he's been very effective. Jordan Love, we obviously know how explosive he can be as a runner, and especially when things break down. So if they want someone who can move around. With the number six overall pick, they're going to have a good shot to get one of those quarterbacks who can do that. Also, I mean, they could always trade up for Tua. Uh, that is definitely something they could try to do. That's it for the news. It's a little bit of a slow period right now because, and reason being, right now, all 32 NFL teams are doing their scout meetings and their off-season planning. So after the Super Bowl, you get all your scouts in the room together. You start stacking the board for the combine. You got your pro side stacking the board for free agents. So right now is a little bit slow, but I promise it will heat up probably late this week, if not by next week, when we start to see some more roster decisions happen. We are back on the fixing team train and up today, the Carolina Panthers Almost everything here is new over the past two years. New owner, David Tepper, they're going to have a new football ops and practice facility. New head coach, Matt Rule, who has basically brought the Baylor Bears to Carolina. Most of his coaches, guys he's worked with at Baylor. And Connor, they have, first and foremost, an important decision to make on quarterback Cam Newton. One year left on his deal. If they cut him, they save $19.1 million dollars. But if they cut him, they have Kyle Allen, Will Greer, and the number 7 overall pick headed into 2020 at the quarterback position. What do you do with Cam Newton? I keep him, Matt, and I'll explain why. Uh, Number one, I don't think the return on your investment right now will be very high. I don't think you're getting a first-round pick back for Cam Newton. If there was ever a year where you were looking to trade your quarterback— there's a lot of options this year, Matt. When you look across the board, we, we're going to see Philip Rivers hit the market. 
there are going to be an opportunity for teams to talk to Tom Brady. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a free agent. There are quarterbacks in this draft like Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavailoa, uh, obviously Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. And we know Burrow is going to go to the Bengals. We know Tua is probably going to go top five. But the point is the desperate teams or the market of desperate teams is not that hot. I want to see Cam Newton come back healthy, and maybe that's wishful thinking, but I would like to see what Cam Newton can do with Joe Brady. And here's the bigger point, Matt. If Cam Newton returns even close to form and has a really good start to the season with Joe Brady, you know there's going to be a team out there that their quarterback gets hurt and they're looking at the trade deadline and they need to make a move and they need somebody and they might get a little more desperate than they're feeling in these next couple months. So if I'm the Panthers, yes, you're in a rebuild, you're in a big transition period, but I want to see what Cam Newton can do in this offense and I want to see if you can turn him into somebody that could be a bigger trade chip at the deadline rather than just cutting bait right now and not getting much back and really tanking this season with a guy like Kyle Allen. So I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to go, I'm going to release him because I I straight don't cut. think just straight cut save the 19 million. This is a good free agency class and my reason being is 2020 does not matter for the Carolina Panthers. You're not winning a Super Bowl. You're not. It, it, I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. So start the rebuild now and have a plan for the future. I don't think Kyle Allen's the guy. I don't think Will Greer's not the guy. Not even close. But you're not going to get you're not if you go 8 and 8, you're not going to draft the guy in 2021 either. We've seen teams you got to tear shit down in order to rebuild it unless you're going to have a ton of draft capital where you can trade up like Philadelphia did to get Carson Wentz. The chances of getting lucky in the third round on a Russell Wilson are pretty damn slim. So I think if you're going to find your quarterback, you got to tear it down. So I would, I don't think you can trade Cam Newton. I don't know what the market is for a guy who's been hurt for basically a year and a half. I would just go ahead and say, hey, thank you for all you've done. You were the face of this franchise. We made a couple good runs. We got to go in a different direction. We, go ahead. You're free. Go to the Chargers. Go to the Raiders. Go wherever you want to go. Restart a franchise. You're going to be 31 years old this year. I would just start it over. And with Kyle Allen, with Will Greer, throw them out there. See what they can do. Because you're not trying to win a Super Bowl right now. You're trying to build a foundation. We talk about all the time. These guys have six, seven-year deals at head coach. They're not going anywhere. They can weather one bad year to potentially get a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields in 2021. I know that's a long-term plan. But for me, it's, hey, Cam, thanks for your service, man. We're not trying to go 7-9 and nine next year. We're trying to go four and twelve because we want to get a quarterback, and I, I know that's a hard thing for fans to buy in about. But if you get Trevor Lawrence from down the road at Clemson, as the number one overall pick in two thousand twenty-one, I think you feel pretty damn good about the future of your team. If I could sign up for that right now, I would. I just don't think it happens. I think the problem with this is that the roster is too good with the coaching staff that this team will walk into a couple wins like the Dolphins did this year, and they'll need the extra assets to go back up for Lawrence or Fields. That's my argument there. I just think betting the house on being really bad backfired on just about every team that's tried it recently. Like The Bengals didn't want to be bad. The, the Dolphins did. The Jets wanted to pick number one that year. They picked six and had to trade up to three. So uh, my belief in it happening is just not very high, but I'm with you, Matt, that you need to position yourself in some kind of way where you're looking at not the quarterback class this year. Let's just make that very clear. I know we've had different podcasts, different mock drafts where we present every scenario. I'm not looking at the quarterback class if I'm the Carolina Panthers this year. I'm looking at next year's class, which has some serious talent at the top of it, where hopefully they have enough capital or enough losses or both to position themselves correctly. Moral of the story, don't sign Ryan Fitzpatrick because he exactly. fucked it up for the Jets exactly. and, the, and the Dolphins. Stay away from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, they do have some key free agents that they have to make decisions on, which is tough for Matt Rule coming in. Basically, uh, he will work with GM Marty Herney, but this is his show. They have $32 million in cap space if they don't bring or if they do bring back, excuse me, Cam Newton. Obviously, that could go up to $51 million if they let him go. James Bradbury is a free agent at corner. Trey Boston at safety. Gerald McCoy at defensive end in that 3-4 scheme they ran last year. And I think scheme is an important thing to talk about because Matt Rule is bringing in Joe Brady as offensive coordinator. We know what that's going to look like. But he's bringing Phil Snow in as defensive coordinator. He was his guy at Baylor. Now, you're not going to run like the you know 3-3-5 or the 4-2-5 that they ran at Baylor as your base defense. So I think one thing that we're kind of waiting to see Are they going to be more of a 4-3 or 3-4 team? The good news is they have a building block, I believe. Kawan Short, 
and Brian Burns, two really good players. The rest of this D-line is basically free agents. You know, Vernon Butler was a first-round pick in 2016. He's a free agent. Mario Addison's a free agent. They gave Dontari Poe a lot of money. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a cap casualty. This D-line is going to need reworked. And I think when you look at the 2020 free agent class, we talk a lot about, oh, all the quarterbacks. Javon Clowney's a free agent. Michael Brockers is a free agent. So, uh, and Dominican Sue, Derek Wolf, I mean, and yeah, there are Chris some Jones. good D linemen. Exactly. Uh, there are going to be some good D linemen uh, who are going to be available if they want to pull the trigger. If they want to use some of that money on a D lineman, which I think is a gigantic need for this team, this is a pretty good year to do it in free agency. Like you said, Chris Jones, I have a sneaky feeling he's going to be tagged or tag and traded. I'm not sure if they would want to go that route, but if he becomes available, obviously that's a great fit too. Their free agency fascinates me because they're in this full probably rebuild, like you said, Matt. So what the way they spend is very interesting. Are they going to look at guys like you're not going to look, in my opinion, at someone like Chris Harris Jr., who's 30 years old? You're not looking to get right. those guys. I would try to bring back Bradbury. He's 26. I think he's held his own in some big matchups. Now, I can't speak to what he wants. I know he has been vocal that he believes he's one of the better corners in football and should be paid as such. But a guy that's 26 years old that's in-house, I would try to bring him back. That's the one for me. And if you can't, you can look at someone like Byron Jones, who's, yes, he's 28. But the point is, you need secondary players in this defense. You're not just going to completely let that unit fall apart. Now, what I will say is, I believe they have $32 million. But once the Keekly retirement fully kicks in, I think they get even $10 million more back on the cap. So this is a team where if they want to bring back an internal free agent that'll cost a lot of money like Bradbury and maybe go fill out the defensive line, they have the opportunity to do it. But most importantly with this team is this first draft we're going to see in the Matt Rule era. Yeah, And at first I thought, man, maybe they would make a run at Jack Conklin. But I, Taylor Mott their best offensive lineman. So I think they're set at right tackle. Uh, so I, I, I know people are like, why are you not saying, you know, go after a good offensive line class and free agency? I think Taylor Montan's their dude that they build around. They I paid agree. Let Matt me, Paradis. They let me ask paid you, Trey though, Turner as well. Do you believe in Greg Little like they do? Um, I thought he was a developmental prospect. Yeah. They drafted him right about where I had him ranked. Okay. So I, I do. I mean, and last year, he just didn't play enough uh, for me to get a good no, read on no way if this guy's the future. So I, I think that that's, I think, what did he play, like three or four games? So I think it's tough to say, okay, he, he is or isn't the guy. But I did like him enough in the draft to think that he was, you know, a developmental left tackle prospect. So I'm, I'm kind of a, a Greg Little guy. Uh, let's, let's just jump in then to the mock draft. Uh, round one. Pick seven. We've talked about how there, unless Justin Herbert is there, I'm probably out on the, not probably, I am out on the quarterback class for them unless Justin Herbert or Tua Tungavailoa is there. We don't expect that to happen because of Miami, because of the Chargers drafting right ahead of them. So at number seven overall, I have them going after Derek Brown, the D lineman from Auburn. I think Brown is one of the five or six best players in this class. He fits what Marty Herney has historically wanted to do in the past. I mean, this is a team that drafted Star Lodu Lule and Quan Short in the same draft. They want big guys up front. We talked about all the free agents that they have. Put Quan Short and Derek Brown in the middle. You got Brian Burns, who I really like Brian Burns. You got him coming off the edge. You got a really good start to a defense. Whether it's a 3-4 or a 4-3 base, you got a pretty good start. I think Derek Brown could just be a home wrecker at defensive tackle. He could play some D-end if you do want to go to that 3-4 route. So you have a lot of versatility. Gerald McCoy, free agent, 32 years old. I think he's out the door. If you want to cut Dontari Poe, you can, because Derek Brown comes in and fills that hole right in the middle of the defense. That's a group that I'd be really, really excited about. I mean, the amount of space that Brown would give a guy like Burns to work off the edge would just be phenomenal. I went on the other side of the trenches here. I went offensive line with Tristan Wirfs at 7th overall. I'm a really big fan of Wirfs. I think after Wills, he is the best offensive lineman in this class. This is a team that has a need at guard, and we're going to figure out if they have a need at tackle. Like you said, Matt, they have Taylor Moten. They have Greg Little. Greg, I wasn't very high on Greg Little. We'll see how that development came along. I thought they drafted him a little early. But taking a guy like Wirfs gives you insurance at the tackle spot, but he can come in and play guard. And if you have an interior of Wirfs, Paradis, and Trey Turner – I mean, we know what Christian McCaffrey can do. You're starting to develop an offense, a 1,000-yard guy like DJ Moore. You have someone like McCaffrey. You have this offensive line. 
for whatever quarterback is coming in there in the next two years, that's a really nice situation to be a part of with Joe Brady calling the plays. Yeah, I big fan of Tristan Wirfs as well. And if you're telling me he's going to play guard next to Taylor Motten, pretty pretty excited about that. Uh, round two, pick number 38. We talk about James Bradbury is a free agent. Other than that, like they also just need help at the corner position. I like Dante Jackson. That is not a slight to him. This secondary needs upgraded. Eric Reed played terribly this year. Boston's a free agent. Ross Cockrell's a free agent. Uh, Javon Elliott, who played pretty well for them as well, I believe is a free agent. So they just need they need a lot of help. They need a lot of upgrades at this position. So I'm going to go with A.J. Terrell here. Again, kind of a local dude from down the road at Clemson. If you lose James Bradbury, you're going to need a starting level corner. I think Terrell can do that. I know he got banged up in the national championship game. The first quarter of the national championship game, he looked like the best player out there at the corner position all throughout the 2019 season. He was incredibly solid. He has length. His instincts are very good. He'll get between the receiver and the ball. I like A.J. Terrell. If you need to go corner in round two uh, with Bradbury leaving, he makes a ton of sense for me. I'm with you all the way when you look at day two in this football team. Zone in on the secondary here. There is talent to be had. The Panthers have the need here. So in round two, I went with a safety in Antoine Winfield Jr. Now with Winfield... He can do a lot of different things. You can have him shade down to the slot and cover out of there if you need to. You can have him play deep, whether it's cover two, single high. I I know he's a smaller guy, but I think he's a very, very willing tackler. And I think this guy just makes plays on the football, Matt. I mean, he finds the football. He has a nose for the football. He has hands to finish plays. So... I really like Antoine Winfield Jr. as this versatile piece for the secondary. And then I doubled down in the third round. I went with somebody that I know you and Mello have been talking up like crazy lately in Cam Dantzler from Mississippi State. So you go and get yourself a corner that can play on the outside after that. So if you could bring back Bradbury and then you draft Winfield for the back end of the secondary and the slot and Dantzler for the outside across from him, now you have an extremely young, aggressive, ball-hawking secondary in Carolina for this defense. I would sign up for that. I I do like Cam Dantzler. That's Melo's guy. I don't want to take any credit for it. I think he told me he gave up, uh, because we don't draft 400, one touchdown in two seasons. Cam Dantzler. Pretty good at football. Round three, pick 69. I went a different direction here. Greg Olson is gone, and I do like what they have. Ian Thomas, I liked as a a mid-round guy coming out in 2018, but I do think they need more help at the tight end position. So I'm going to give them your guy, Hunter Bryant. Not a traditional inline tight end, but I think in Joe Brady's offense, we saw how Thad Moss moved around for LSU. I mean, he was flexed. He was in the backfield. He was in the slot. I think Hunter Bryant could do a lot of those same things and really attack what you see from the defenses. He's going to be a matchup nightmare We've compared him. I think you've said Evan Ingram. I've said Irv Smith Jr. He's just somebody that you can find mismatches for. I think Hunter Bryant and Joe Brady's offense would be a lot of fun as a matchup guy. And then round four, you come back around. This is why I have them going safety. Brandon Jones from University of Texas. If Trey Boston leaves, hell, even if he doesn't. I think Eric Reed last year, we started to see the, the drop-off, the decline happen with him a little bit. Jones is very aggressive as a tackler. He'll bounce off guys a little bit because I think he gets eyes on the turf, but he can play free. He can play strong. He can walk up in the box. Texas used him a lot of different ways. Basically started for four years there. So he's special teams play, free safety, strong safety. He's played some nickel linebacker. So Brandon Jones do a little bit of everything for Carolina's defense. Round three, you got them a big-bodied mismatch target in Hunter Bryant. I'm going to piggyback off that in round four and go with wide receiver Brian Edwards. This guy is a monster, an absolute monster. He's a big wide receiver. He plays big. He's extremely physical. And I think he'll actually run decent enough for his size, which is, you know, I know it's been a question for people, and I understand that when you look at how big this guy is, but I think Brian Edwards will be in the four fives kind of range, and at that size, this rounds out a really nice offense. You have DJ Moore. You know what kind of playmaker he is. When they drafted Curtis Samuel, they wanted speed, and then you have Christian McCaffrey, who really does everything. So when you look at Brian Edwards, this is about getting size at the wide receiver position, especially down for a red zone target. Yeah, Brian Edwards, I think it's unfortunate we didn't see him at the Senior Bowl because there was some legit top 50 buzz, which it's early. The Senior Bowl was early for top 50 buzz for him, but but there's a lot of like for him out there. Round five, 
I'm going to go back to the pass rush. They have Brian Burns on one side. I think they need more speed. I'm going to have DJ Wanham from South Carolina. Our guy, Big Country, fell in love with this dude at the Senior Bowl. So I come home, watch Senior Bowl practices, start watching more South Carolina tape, and he can play. I mean, he, he is NFL caliber. I think he is probably a day three pick, but the size is there. The power is there to redirect guys. He uses his length well. So opposite Brian Burns, you get a little bit more size at edge rusher, but I think Wanham has a, uh, definitely has a fit even if it has a situational guy early on. Yeah, they double-dipped at edge last year and taking Christian Miller. Only two sacks this year, though. He had some health concerns at Alabama, so... I'm right. I'm with you that on day three, it's probably time to take a look at stacking the deck a little bit on the edge there. Round five, I went with a tight end here. Albert O from Missouri. He did not have the season that he was hoping for. I think health has been a significant question throughout his career. And we were mocking this guy in the first round over summer mock drafts, Matt. But I think for Albert O, if he's somebody that can do really well at the combine, teams might fall back in love with him. But until he proves he can stay healthy, I think he's fallen out of the top 75 picks for now. And for the Panthers, once again, you're looking to capitalize value at tight end. You've done that with Ian Thomas before. Matt did that in round three with Hunter Bryant. Now I go back to that in round five with five with Albert O. And in round six, I'll try to get some value at linebacker, a guy with plenty of play experience on a championship caliber. That's Jacob Phillips from LSU. And Phillips is somebody that I think can actually play himself out of the or test himself out of the day three range. He might be able to get into round three because he's been a productive player. So it's going to be interesting to see how he measures in that, how he moves at the NFL combine, and most importantly, how he interviews. Yeah, I, I think for Phillips, he's, he's body beautiful. He's, he's what you want at linebacker. His instincts were just a little, little bit off. And it's funny because when I set out to do this, like, oh, I'm going to give them some LSU guys. No LSU guys fell to where I thought they would be able to pick them. So I'm glad you got one in there. Round six, I'm going to go wide receiver. I think continue to add to that group that is, like you said, hopefully they start to get something out of Curtis Samuel. DJ Moore is a stud. We know what McCaffrey can do as a receiver out of the backfield. I'm going to give him Aaron Fuller. Not necessarily a speed guy, but a good route runner. Can play in the slot. I think he can play a little bit outside. We saw this year his game open up a little bit with Jacob Eason now that he had a quarterback who could get the ball down the field. So Aaron Fuller, more of a value play here, more of a depth guy in round six. And then round seven, I'm going to hit the interior offensive line. Matt Paradis is just a little bit old. You, it's not like a replacement, but you just want to add depth. Keith Ismail from San Diego State, I think he has upside as a swing interior offensive lineman, can play center, can play guard. So I'm just trying to fill out depth in round seven here. Yeah, round seven, I did the same thing. I went with running back with J.J. Taylor. He's a tiny guy, 5'6", 185, but he's got breakaway speed, and I think at some point you do need some insurance for Christian McCaffrey. Taylor can catch the ball. Like I said, he's got home run hitting ability. Surprisingly, at his size, there have been plenty of games where Arizona relied on him for 20-plus touches time and time again, even some games in the 30-plus touches kind of area for Taylor. So I think he's been underrated in this running back class, maybe because Arizona hasn't always been very consistent and he's a smaller running back, but I think they need to get some insurance at that position for their all-world player in McCaffrey. Yeah, and we didn't talk about it. That's the guy they're going to have to start thinking about extending soon. And he's worth every penny of it. I know we always defer running back payments, but that guy does everything. Yeah, I don't think he's just a running back. Not at all. So going to be interesting. Let us know how we did. Uh, Leave it in your Apple Podcast review. Tweet us at Stick to Football. Anything we missed, anything you would do differently for the Carolina Panthers. Take a break. We come back. A loaded two segments worth of Draft on Draft. It is draft on draft time. We appreciate all the Apple podcast reviews, all the questions you guys send in. So we're going to try to dive deep into these as we start to prep for the combine. Our good friend Pat Chamberlain asked, aside from a certain wide receiver who shall not be named, who would you say is the most polarizing prospect in this year's class? I actually will. I know he's talking about Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. Tyler Johnson's only polarizing to Minnesota fans. I don't. I don't think anyone <laughs> else go. sees that as polarizing. <laughs> no, I mean it just is what it is. I think, and I'm not trying to like throw shade at anybody else. I have a ton of respect for all the guys who do the, the job that I do. I think once you know McShay and DJ and and if Mel's big board goes that deep, Lance Zerline, Zerline. I think once everybody has their rankings out, no one's going to have Tyler Johnson in the top. Hundred, so I I don't think it's just a me thing. I think it's just a Minnesota fan thing. Outside of him, I feel like on our show, C.J. Henderson is a little bit polarizing. I agree just because 
I, I really, really like him. I, I think his uh, aggressiveness and coverage, I think his instincts, his length, his size. So for me, like I see C.J. Henderson as a Tredavious White, plug-and-play, going to be really, really physical, and in an aggressive defense, I think he's going to get a lot of turnovers. But I know that I, I don't know where Melo has him. I know that you don't see him quite as high. I wouldn't take him in the first round. I, I don't think he's a first-round corner. I'm trying to think of some other players that we've definitely disagreed on. Not a I'll ton. Epinesa was a guy, and I've I don't come know. around on him. What's funny is I've dropped him. <laughs> like so, he's not. I don't think he's a top fifteen prospect in any way. I have him at sixteen. Yeah, so, I have him at twenty one. Yeah. So yeah, I think he's high floor, which I didn't for a while. And then you watch him and you understand what's asked of him, and you see how athletic he is for his size. It's like, oh, if you need somebody at the end of round one to come in on the edge, probably still walk into seven sacks a year, eight sacks a year, and stop the run. I really like A.J. Epinesa. Now, when A.J. Epinesa is mocked in the top 10, top 12 kind of picks, and you're expecting him to get 12 sacks a year and be the number one guy on the edge, I'm out on A.J. Epinesa. So it's interesting how those things work. But um, I'll say this, though. I feel very comfortable that he will not be a bust. It's just, it's an expectations thing, Matt. How many times right. do we see guys drafted in the top 10? They go on to have a pretty decent career, and people are complaining about them all the time. It's because they were where they were drafted. I think the Jacob Eason is not within stick to football, but I feel like Jacob Eason's a little bit polarizing because you hear people say top 15 pick. But I think if you ask those people, okay, where's he stack on your board? It's not going to be top 15. So I think Jacob Eason is polarizing. And I really feel like as we get more into that, you know, um, we'll, that will come out more. That'll flesh out. But I feel like this year's a little bit, not a boring draft because it's a good class, but there's not those guys where it's, you know, trying to figure out, you know, this crazy stretch of, you know, with like Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson. There's not there's not that much of an argument in this year's class. Uh, we got an Apple podcast review here from a sticky in Hawaii. How far <laughs> up would the Ravens have to trade to get Kenneth Murray? Not Ooh. very far. I, I think That's- they actually have a chance to get him. So I'm going to go back to our mock draft yesterday where he went 19th to the Raiders. Now, that one was kind of interesting because when I was making the pick, I sat there for a very long time and was deciding between Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen, and then Patrick Queen didn't go till 32 to the Chiefs. So if Patrick Queen goes to the Combine and looks a lot better than Kenneth Murray, it's going to be interesting. I think the Ravens are in a situation where there is definitely a chance he falls to them, but if you're sitting there and you go, we have to get this guy, you're probably looking at the Raiders' second first-round pick where you start to get scared. Yeah, and I'll say I have him ranked at 24, the Ravens pick at 28. So I I don't think they would have to come up far. But again, you have to worry about a couple teams in there, Raiders, Jags, Patriots. There are enough teams. The Saints might be one. So they even if they had to trade up, it would not be a ton. It's definitely feasible. My bigger question is, you're in Hawaii, why are you not just sitting on the beach? Hopefully you're sitting on the beach listening. Yeah, there's, inter- the there's cell service probably on the beach somewhere. There we good, go. Good for the sticky in Hawaii. No joke. How about this one? X sticky 1969. <laughs> Very nice. Where's the hype for Tyler Huntley? He had more to his question, uh, but I've, it, this is basically the gist of it. I You watch Tyler Huntley. I love watching him play. He's fun. He's exciting. I know early in the year people were trying to make it a thing that he was like a poor man's Lamar Jackson. I just don't think he's a good enough thrower like in terms of accuracy. And like he's skinny, so he's going to have to bulk up anyway. He's saw him at Shrine game. I didn't see him at Shrine game, but people who saw him at Shrine game even said like, "Man, he's not, you know, as big as you thought he was. He's like 6 foot, 200 pounds, so the size isn't there." I have him ranked if you want to draft him late and put him in an offense where, you know, like the Ravens offense where he's going to be able to run that same scheme and you want that backup continuity. Yeah, that's great. But I don't personally see, you know, like with Jalen Hurts, you see a ton of playmaking. You know, a lot of improvising. He's moving around to still make a play. I don't necessarily see that with Huntley consistently. Yeah, I think with Huntley, I understand why the hype isn't there. What I will say is I am not a fan of him not getting a chance at the combine. I actually have a pretty significant problem with that. When you look at the quarterback list, it's a long list. There's a lot of guys on it that... Of course, the big names are there, but like 
Kelly Bryant's at the combine. Why isn't right? Tyler? Why isn't Tyler Huntley at the combine? That's my problem there. If you want, yeah. you know, like you said, Matt, I don't. I'm with you. I don't think he has the best arm in the world. But you look at what teams are doing. Easton Stick went in the fifth round last year. They're looking yep. for backups that can fit in an offense that can move, and they're they're throwing darts. They're hoping that hey, this guy actually might be able to run our offense as a spot starter or in sub packages. I would like Huntley to at least get that chance, and unfortunately, he is not at the NFL Combine. Yeah, and Shrine Game, um, I think he was overshadowed a little bit by some guys, so that, that could be a part of it. Why? El Carne 8. Hypothetically, the meat. if there were an, expe- an expansion draft, how would it go? We could spend a whole show talking about this. <laughs> I would love to. I would too, and I, I hope it happens. I would imagine it's going to follow the blueprint that the Texans did where each team leaves X amount of players. You say, okay, each team has five guys that are unprotected. That means you could take... Those five guys, the way it worked before, um, if you're the, say you're the Jets and you leave everyone unprotected, let's just to make this easy. And a team picks <laughs> Jamal Adams. Robbie Anderson, just Jamal Adams. That's a good one. Team picks Jamal Adams. This is an expansion draft. You could then pull back one of your unprotected players. And then if another player, if Marcus May gets picked, you could pull back your remaining two players. So you have the flexibility as the existing NFL team to only lose two guys. Now, what happened before was, Everyone dumped their bad salary guys onto the Texans. You know, like Tony Baselli was the first pick of the Texans expansion draft. He never even played for them. So that's how it worked before. They're obviously going to get the first pick in the draft, you know, to be helped out a little bit. It's funny. It, it changed because I can remember when the Jags and Panthers came around, they got so loaded in their expansion drafts. The Jags went to the AFC championship game in the second year of their yes. existence. So Which is now insane. it's like, wait a second. You guys were too good. So maybe finding a way to split the middle would be great. Yeah, I think that's the problem. If they need to look at it, the NHL actually does a pretty good job of it. Although the Vegas Knights ended up going to the Stanley Cup right they away. Did. Exactly. Yep. So maybe they didn't do a good job. At the time, though, I was, I'm was i really on top of it. I've actually been reading about the upcoming one with the Seattle team because I get worried about who the Rangers are going to lose or who could potentially lose. So... I think they do a decent job. I like what you said, Matt, about being able to pull back players. It is really tricky because, I mean, some teams can just get fucked while some teams, they're just giving up guys that have bad contracts. So if it's something that becomes a reality one day, we will spend an episode on it, relaying our ideas of it. But I think they're going to have to be really, really creative to find that middle ground of how to do it the right way. And maybe that means extra draft picks. Or you're also looking at one thing I think the Vegas Knights did was they took on bad salaries to acquire more picks, I think it was. And if our listeners, if I'm wrong about this, I'm sorry, I'm having bad memory, but I'm pretty sure that's how they did it, which would be an interesting way for an expansion NFL team to do it with all the bad contracts teams are trying to unload. It's a way to get more draft capital. Yeah, and the the Knights did it very, very well. I know that the, the similarities might be different between football and hockey. Trav Alex seventeen ninety three. What's the difference between Matt Ryan as a prospect and Jake Fromm? Uh, so I was actually a huge Matt Ryan fan coming out of Boston College. The difference that I see Jake Fromm is, and this could be by scheme design, is so conservative as a passer. Matt Ryan at least took chances, and he he actually threw a decent amount of interceptions in college because of that. I think Matt was a better downfield thrower. And also, the guy got the nickname Matty Ice for a reason. He was so clutch in the fourth quarter. I have not seen that from Jake Fromm, where it's just ice in his veins, poised. I mean, I just I haven't. And some of that, you know, Georgia hasn't been in those spots. I also think Matt Ryan, one of my favorite things about him at BC, he had no one around him. And they were being competitive in games back in the day when you had to play, you know, like good Florida State teams. Jake Fromm was surrounded by all the talent in the world, couldn't win the SEC. So I think that is a big part of the difference for me, too. Yeah, I think when you look at it, a lot of people forget this. Matt Ryan was so good with his feel in the pocket. And something I've noticed with from from watching, I mean, it feels like every day I have to turn on the Georgia offensive line tape because you have Andrew Thomas, you have Isaiah Wilson, you have players on the interior, and of course you have from and DeAndre Swift. But sometimes from like, gives gets himself into sacks like Andrew Thomas will get beat I understand that but there's times where Thomas 
and Thomas is a really high IQ offensive lineman. I want to say that from watching him. He knows exactly how much space he has to work with to run guys out. And sometimes Fromm doesn't step up where Thomas runs guys out and he gets himself into sacks. And it's just I don't see the same pocket presence and awareness that Matt Ryan had. That's why I actually look at Joe Burrow sometimes and I go, man, Burrow is a better athlete. But in terms of the feel and understanding of the pocket, Burrow and Matt Ryan have a lot of the same similarities. And I do not see that with Jake Fromm, unfortunately. Yep, I don't either. I definitely do not. Let's take a break. We come back. Five more amazing draft-on-draft questions from your Twitter questions. One of the greatest names I've ever seen send in a (laughs) draft-on-draft question. Chicken Parma Sean. Chicken Parma Sean. If the Packers go the route of inside linebacker, Murray or Queen, or a D-lineman, Blacklock in round one, could wide receiver Gabriel Davis be a legit target in round two? My first pass-through on Gabe Davis, UCF, I liked him. It's like, oh man, he gets separation in his route. He's got a big body. He can shield guys. Second pass through is like, oh, he's actually slow. So I think the combine is going to be really important for Davis. I have him at 80 overall right now. So the Packers might be able to wait on a guy like that. I think if we talked about this on Mock Draft Monday, if they don't go wide receiver in round one, I think you're hoping for a guy like KJ Hamler, maybe Jalen Rieger in round two. Donovan Peoples-Jones, someone who's going to give you a little bit more burst than what you have right now. Yeah, I'm with you there. It's funny you brought up Gabe Davis because I was watching him a couple days ago, and I remember we had him at the end of round one in a mock draft like maybe two months ago. And I just think that UCF did a really good job of getting him in positions to succeed, and he did a really good job himself, obviously, catching the ball, tracking the ball, adequate speed to play receiver at the next level. But I think when you're looking at the players that are in the top 40 of this class, they're just a lot more explosive than him right now, where I I do think he'll be a round two, early round three wide receiver in a very deep class. So I think he's a legit target for Green Bay in round two, but I think there'd be a lot of better options, like you said, Matt, because of the speed factor. For Green Bay, I really like the guys like KJ Hamler, Jalen Rieger, and, and I know there might be a run on those guys before they pick in round two. But if one of those speedsters can fall to you, I, I like that combination of Devontae Adams, probably the best route runner in football, Alan Lazard, one of the better young jump ball guys that we got to see this year really take that next step. And then you have a speedy kind of guy that could be your second or third option. That's the kind of balance that I think Green Bay needs. Yeah, absolutely. agree with you there. Jeremy Godden, is there a quarterback in this draft that fits the Steelers offense that will be available at the 49th pick? I don't think so. Um I don't. I think Jacob Easton will be gone by then. Otherwise, I would say, yeah, Easton's a good fit. Jordan Love will be gone by then. Yeah, and, and we've talked Fromm. about it before. Jake Fromm is not a fit in that offense. I don't. I don't think anyway. After that, there. I mean, there's such a drop off from. I wouldn't even. Jake Fromm might go top fifty. I wouldn't personally do it. The drop off from him to Jalen Hurts is pretty significant. So this is a year where we're going to see a lot of quarterbacks go early, and then we might not see any go for a long time. Yeah, that's what it feels like. I mean, it's just not a great quarterback class, even if you're looking for, like, there's not even those developmental guys on day two where you're like, oh, man, he's just loaded up with traits, but needs to sit for a couple of years. Like, but there's just not really a lot of guys like that. So, especially with the Steelers, like, I don't see the Steelers taking from or Hurts. Maybe they'll surprise us and take a, a mobile guy like Hurts. It would just surprise me. So I, I don't think they're a team that'll be looking to do that. Now, Big Ben's health is is very interesting. I'm also curious to see what this team does in free agency. I actually think the Steelers are a team that should invest some money in a backup that can go out and give you more than what Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges gave you. Yeah, I mean, it, that is the hard part this year. It's like all these teams need quarterbacks, and there's not very many. So like I would have said Jordan Love to... in September at 49. Yeah. Those days passed. It might be Marcus Mariota now. Might be your might be your That's backup quarterback. Jameis Winston. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, no joke. Andrew Magnuson says, Can you guys discuss how you rank the second tier of safeties? So yes, we can, because I've been trying to stack safeties lately. And it is difficult. We I told you yesterday I have Xavier McKinney number one with a bullet. I have Grant Delpit after that, but with guys like Kyle Duggar. Antoine Woodfield Jr., who I really like, I would put Ashton Davis probably at the bottom of that tier of safeties. So that tier two stretches from Delpit, 
Duggar, Winfield, and Davis for me. And they're all very different. And, and I think some of it's going to come down to scheme and team fit. We've talked about Delpit a lot on the show. I, I don't think we need to go more in-depth on a guy that we're really disappointed by his play this year. Kyle Duggar showed me at the Senior Bowl that he can play safety in the NFL. I thought maybe... You know, you watch just Lenore Ryan tape, and you're like, God, this guy might be a linebacker because he just yeah. looks so big. You see him immobile. It's like, none. He could play safety. He's a great punt returner. He's athletic. He can come down into the box. That that potential is there. Antoine Winfield Jr., you know, obviously the pedigree's there. He's a ball-hawking playmaker, uh, a little bit small, a little bit of an injury history, but you can play him nickel, slot, free safety. I think he gives you a ton of versatility like a Quandre Diggs or a Jimmy Ward type player. And then with Ashton Davis, great story, former walk-on, track guy. He's a true free safety. So I, I think those three guys go in, in round two. Well, I, for those four guys, I think there's a good chance Grant Delpit goes in round two and then Duggar, Winfield, and Davis. And I'll say this. I was talking to our good friend Dalton Miller about safeties the other day. I know teams that have Kyle Duggar graded higher than Grant Delpit right now. I'm not shocked. Honestly, it's just when you look at how great Duggar was in Mobile, specifically running with tight ends and running backs, that kind of speed at the safety position, and just that Delpit fell off a cliff this year, I'm not shocked. Now, for me, I I think I'm still taking Delpit over him, but Delpit is, you want to talk about polarizing players, He's polarizing to me in my own brain where, like, I can't even decide. He scares what to the do. shit out of me. Like, there was a time on the show where I was still making him the first safety off the board and defending him. And now I can't even come up with an argument of how Xavier McKinney doesn't go before him. Like, McKinney is the top safety. Then there's this, like, complete pack of Delpit, who has been brilliant as an underclassman and then was not good this year. I love Antoine Winfield, especially in today's NFL, all the different things he could do. I like yeah. Duggar a lot. Ashton Davis has great athleticism. I just hope he could stay healthy. He's kind of got a track body, which, I mean, he was a track guy before an NFL uh, NFL prospect. So you just hope that body can hold up because he's a super explosive athlete. It's interesting. It really is. I, I will say this. It feels like last year where – I'll have probably five safeties in round two, which for the yeah. value of that position, that shows it goes to show you it's a very deep, talented class. It's, it's only going to take one team to fall in love with Grant Delpit. But, he, I mean, he does terrify me because I, I've said it before. 2018, looked like a top 10 player. 2019, he looks like a second rounder. So where where does he go? Do you split the difference on that? Because it's, it's confusing to watch. Like you said, within your own brain, you can have an argument I, about this guy. I'll say this, Matt. If there was anybody I could talk to, Probably off the air. It wouldn't be a good on-air stick-to-football interview. It would probably be Grant Delpit. And just being transparent and being like, honestly, what happened this year? Like, you went from a top-five consensus player to potentially not a first-round player. And if that's something where he's transparent and the reasons add up and you go, listen, shit happens. People have bad seasons. It's That's life. Then you understand. But I I don't know if that conversation – I would love to know scouts that have that conversation at the Combine how it turns out. Yep, and it's like, where was your effort this year? On a championship caliber guy team. before. Yeah. Like, it's not it's, like they were Florida State where you're like, man, I got bamboozled during the recruiting process. This team right. stinks. This school, just everything sucks right now. I'm out of here. It's like, no, you have a national title right in front of you to go win. What yep. more do you need? Everybody else is doing it for him, so he didn't have to. Brian Kelly, not the head coach at Notre Dame, asked, of the mid-round wide receivers, who has the best chance of having an instant impact, and what would their ideal landing spot be? This is a very tough question for a lot (laughs) lot of reasons. (laughs) There's a lot of names. So mid-round, I would consider mid-round to be like three, four, five. I think your guy Van Jefferson is one of those players that that has a great chance. Like if he went to the Saints – opposite Michael Thomas, he's going to have a great chance to have success. If he goes to my Niners, Emmanuel Sanders is a free agent. I don't, enough people aren't talking about that. Right now, the Niners have no mid-round picks, but if they're able to trade back in round one and acquire more, I think Van Jefferson could be a really good instant-impact player. Lynn Bowden, probably not going to be a traditional instant-impact wide receiver, but I think he could be an instant-impact offensive player if you get him in. If Kansas City moves on from Sammy Watkins, Lynn Bowden could come in around three and be an instant impact offensive weapon. You know, there, there are right spots for a guy like that to get on the field. Baltimore be a good fit for him. Some other words, they're going to let him be creative offensively. Yeah, when you look at it, 
Like, if you you could put in the round two bucket Rieger, Hamler, and Ayuk, right? And then you could just pick spots for those guys. Like, Philadelphia. Uh, I don't want to say Seattle because they probably have big expectations for Metcalf next year again. But Green Bay. You know, New Orleans. Those are the spots where you look at it and you go... And then what if Dallas loses Amari Cooper? And I don't think they will. But if they do, the target share opens up there through the roof for Dallas. So, and there's just like, it also depends on target share. Like, whoever the Jets draft in round two or three is going to be the number one wide receiver. Right. Robbie Anderson's walking in free agency. Jamison Crowder's a great slot, but he's a slot. There's no one else. So target share really matters here. Where there are there are a lot of guys on there are a lot of players that'll be drafted on day two of this draft that will be literally top three to four round fantasy picks. That's the expectations that some of these guys will have set. Which is tough because wide receiver, you don't get instant impact very often. It's so difficult. That, that, it's gotten better recently, but yep. you're right. Like look at Nikhil Harry this year. He didn't do anything. No. No. So, I mean some of that was injury, but still, yeah. I mean, sure, st- but that's what happens. Didn't. Yep. Last question. Dakota Cox asked, with their quarterback need draft capital, do you see any scenario where the Dolphins don't take Tua at three or five? I do not see any way that Tua Tungavailoa is not a Miami Dolphin. The only way would be if the Cincinnati Bengals drafted him at one, which I don't right now reading the tea leaves. It does not sound like that is a possibility. I think whether it's at three or five, like you said here, Dakota, I think Tua is a Dolphin when it's all said and done. What if they pull the rug out from under us and take Herbert? Oh, my God. It would be like when Daniel Jones went last year. That's exactly we what I was like, going to say. It would be, uh, okay, we understand you need a quarterback. Applaud you for going to get one. But why did you take this one? Yeah. that's. Uh, I, I don't know. It wouldn't shock me. I, I think all signs point to Tua. But I'm just saying I'm leaving that 5% chance open for Herbert. Right. I'm going to yeah. leave it open. I, if anything's, If I've learned anything... From covering the draft here at Bleacher Report is that shit happens. <laughs> so, like Baker Mayfield, number one overall. Right? Oh, Baker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anything could happen. Uh, who knows? That Maybe maybe they get Tom Brady. I, I, they won't. But uh, <laughs> That would be something. Who, who knows? It is. We're a, a couple months out. Anything could happen. That is our show for today. The trio will be back Friday morning. Uh, we Hopefully something happens because we are fresh out of material right now, guys. Friday's show might be... Uh, we might be talking about baseball. I don't know. We'll see what we'll see what happens. But we will be back Friday morning, getting y'all ready for the 2020 NFL Scouting Combine, which kicks off in two weeks. So for Connor, Matt, we'll talk to y'all real soon. 